Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me tonight is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, pretty good. Excited to dig into this new case we got coming up tonight. Yeah, but before I introduce this new case, I just want to let folks know there's, there's some new happenings uh, going on in uh, the Police Off the Cuff family. Uh, if you know, if you've been following us, we have two shows, Police Off the Cuff, which is a lighter show where we more or less uh, do a lot of law enforcement-inspired shows, introducing great people who had great careers in law enforcement. And we, I started doing this, uh, Real Crime Stories, about four or five months ago. and I uh, now feel that this is more of my niche than police off the cuff. So Mark is going to stay with the police off the cuff show, and he's going to pick a co-host who is yet to be named. It's possibly it could be uh, MC's audio, Mike Cologne, but I don't know who Mark has uh, chosen yet. So I'm going to stay with uh, Real Crime Stories with my buddy here from straight out of Brooklyn, uh, Phil Grimaldi. If you're not uh, subscribed to the show, please do so. Hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and uh, join the family, the Police Off the Cuff family. We also have a Patreon. You can join the Patreon. There's three levels. There's the bucket, uh, polish my polish my rack, and uh, dipped in butter. And those, those are the three. But we also now have a new family members on YouTube. And we have four levels. For $2.99 a month, you're a bucket. For um, $9.99, you're uh, Polish My Rack. For $24.99, you're Dipped in Butter. And for the premiere, $49.99, which we actually had someone sign up for, uh, is Heated Dipped in Butter. And so we're, we're getting some really traction. we got 31 members of the Police Off the Cuff family in our membership. So we're really uh, excited about that. Folks, this case we chose, is it's, it's a national case right now. And if you haven't been following it, uh, I'm just going to play a, a quick, quick video because the news probably could give you a better idea of what is actually going on in this case by seeing um, seeing a little video of this. And, and I'll pull it up on the screen. It, it, it goes in, in South Carolina, and it's such a convoluted case with so many moving parts that I think that um, it's going to it's going to be really interesting to follow. Uh, so let me, without further ado, let me put the um, let me share the, the news video. Um, hang on one second. This is going to be a really interesting case. You're telling me? In a coastal region of South Carolina, the chilling double homicide of two members of a prominent legal dynasty now under investigation from the state's law enforcement division, which is offering few details. 52-year-old Maggie Murdoch and her 22-year-old son, Paul, were found outside their home, both shot multiple times, according to the coroner. They were discovered by husband and father, Alec Murdoch, on their rural property 10 days ago. Alec called 911, according to police, but Paul has not been made public. The murder sending shockwaves through the local community where generations of the Murdoch family have worked as well-known lawyers and prosecutors tied to countless legal cases in the South Carolina low country. 
In a statement, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division says it's committed to conducting a professional and thorough criminal investigation. But the agency has not held any press briefing since the killings. The governor recently saying law enforcement is working around the clock. It is a, a tragic, tragic situation. The Murdoch family is well known and respected. And this is, uh, this is just tragic, starting with the, uh, the, the boat accident. The boat accident involved Paul Murdoch in 2019, who was set to face trial for his role in that crash that led to the death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach. She was thrown from the boat, her body discovered a week later. Prosecutors say Paul was driving the boat while intoxicated when it slammed into a piling, though he pleaded not guilty to several charges. And in another tragedy for the prominent family, Patriarch Randolph Murdoch died just days ago at his residence at the age of 81. And Sam, you were talking about the family's promise. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a few clues to the whole uh, convoluted story. And they referred to this family as a dynasty, which they go the, the firm, the law firm that they were attached to, goes back over a hundred years. And uh, as we get into it, you're going to find details on this case that are just actually incredible. And uh, as you can see, that was an NBC, uh, that was a national news story that NBC covered it as. So I think that this case has a lot of merit regarding uh, national interest. Well, you know, Phil, let's start with the uh, the homicide of uh, of Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch, yeah. which happened on, on June 7th. Now, right. um, investigators are saying that happened anywhere between 9 and 9.30. Now, I don't know exactly how they know the time frame. It did Is someone that call AM or PM, Bill? That's, that's AM no, or PM? Excuse me, PM, PM. PM okay. So 9, 9 to 9.30 PM. Was there a call that people heard shots fired at that time, or are they just judging it on the conditions of the bodies, for example, you know, the uh, stiffness of the body and that type of thing, and estimating it from a medical perspective? But, but what we do know is that, um, the the um, Alex Murdoch, the father, he discovered the bodies and yeah. called nine one one at ten oh seven. You want to pick it up from there? Yeah, I mean uh, the location from what I read was uh, what they considered a hunting lodge, and the body was bodies were found with multiple gunshot wounds to both the uh, I think it was a nineteen year a uh, twenty two year old son Paul and the wife Maggie who was fifty three which was Paul's mom they were both shot multiple times and appears to be that there were two different uh, guns used in the uh, in the homicides um, the 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 whole story about the boating thing took place uh, a few years before that but there's a lot of uh, chronology that we're going to go through tonight. To give an idea of, uh, you know, th this uh, there was starting to be some uh, some suspicious activity, but all the way back to June of 2015, and then in the last few days, been been a lot of things going on in the last few days. I mean, uh, his law license, the father's law license, was removed, and then uh, there were statements from the firm, statements from the brother. So we'll get into all of that. But as far as the murder investigation goes, there was a subsequent investigation opened related to the murder investigation that also uh, touches this family, um, the investigation into a, uh, a young man by the name of uh, Smith that was, uh, that was uh, uh, allegedly killed in a hit and run. 
And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that too. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is, is this mur double murder, double homicide investigation. Now that's the, uh, that, that's the gentleman's picture on the screen, Stephen Smith, yes. who was found in the road uh, about 10 miles from a Murdoch property. And he was alleged, uh, the cause of death back then was ruled to be a hit and run. But the, uh, the investigators on the scene uh, sincerely doubted that it was a hit and run. It looked like he had blunt trauma to his head that was not caused by a vehicle. That that was what the highway patrol thought. Uh, now, one of the things that you got to realize in these cases, all of, of these cases that involved this family, you have to look at them in in the scope of the power that they have in this county. Absolutely. Uh, they, they were actually a solicitor generals. In, that's, in, that's what it's called in South Carolina. And that's the equivalent of our district attorney's office. Right. So for about 100 years, the Murdoch family ran the district attorney's office in this county of uh, Hampton County, South Carolina. So it's, it, it, it's like the power that the family has. They call the family a dynasty. Right. So I, there's a lot of folks that maybe think or hinting, and I, I don't, we haven't been out down there. We're not part of this investigation, but they're hinting that they can get the investigation to go the way that they want it to go with, uh, with, with their, the power that they have in these counties. Well, Bill, I'm glad you brought that up because that was what I was talking about. That Stephen Smith case that happened in June of 2015, where uh, he was allegedly the victim of a hit and run. Now, like you said, the Highway Patrol believed that he had blunt force, blunt force trauma to his head. And I believe the coroner in that case uh, said that he could have been hit with the mirror of a uh, of a large truck while he was walking along the highway. Now there was a statement by his mom. His mom put out a statement and in the statement, she said she felt that her son was killed by a prominent member of a family in South Carolina and that she believes he was targeted because he was gay. And she also stated that he may have had a fling with one of the boys from that prominent family. Now, when you talk about a prominent family, Alex Murdoch's Father and grandfather were both the solicitors, uh, the the circuit, a uh, 14th circuit solicitor, uh, which means the prosecutor in that county for over 85 years. So you have an 85 year or more track record of them being involved in the prosecutor's office, as well as the law firm. The law firm is is uh, goes by the name PMPED, which stands for. Uh, uh, I have it written down here someplace. Well, I'll get to it in a second. Uh, the bottom line is that the law firm goes back over a hundred years to the great grandfather. Then you have the grandfather and the father who were the actual prosecutors in the town. So I think calling them a dynasty is not off the track. It's 100% correct calling them a dynasty. And the fact that someone can jump to the conclusion and say, well, maybe they had uh, uh, you know, a hand in possibly steering an investigation one way or the other is not out of the realm of possibility because you're talking about that the grandfather and the father were both 85 years controlled the pro prosecuting uh, 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 body of law enforcement in that area. So I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they could have possibly steered something one way or the other in favor of the grandson. I, I don't think that that's uh, out of the realm of possibility. And then later on, I'll talk about there was something filed in court in the civil part of that case that we'll talk about a little bit later. Here's the, uh, Alex is the father. 
he's the um, one of the powerful attorneys from that law firm. And we'll get into more of his involvement in this whole convoluted uh, mess here. Maggie is the wife. She was 52 years old. She was a victim of a homicide. Paul was 22. He was also a victim of a homicide. He, in addition, he was the one that was driving the boat that was facing multiple, um, I would think it would be almost like a criminally negligent homicide because it was proven that he was intoxicated and driving this boat, resulting in the death of a 19-year-old female named Mallory. And so that the, the uh, Murdaws were facing a huge civil case besides the criminal case against uh, Paul. Yeah, I, uh, the, the case against Paul, he was charged with uh, boating while intoxicated, which led to the death of that young lady, uh, Mallory. And there was also two other people that were also present on the boat flung into the water that were also seriously injured. Now, in... Um, in July, now there was a civil suit filed back then because that all took place in uh, February of 2019. Alex's uh, son, Paul, was charged in the death of Mallory Beach 19, as well as the injury of the other two, which I just stated, and uh, boating while intoxicated in that boating accident. Now, in July 7th, now the, the civil case was actually filed previously, but they filed new court documents and they regard the lawsuit of that boating and its incident, and they allege conspiracy connecting law enforcement to the Murdoch family. So they're they're alleging that there was some type of collusion between law enforcement and the Murdoch family to try and protect and throw the blame off of Paul and put it onto one of the other people that was one of the other passengers on the boat that was injured. I, I believe it was one of Paul's friends. They're trying to... Uh, push some of the blame onto him for the boating accident. That was filed in July after the double homicide. That was July 7th, 2021. Phil, let's get back to the scene of uh, of the double homicide. Well, that's not, actually, that's not it. This is the, the investigators walking from the scene. The, the scene is a hunting lodge that's owned by the Murdoch family, which is supposedly over 13,000 acres. And it took place near a dog kennel. And the state law enforcement division, known as SLED, are investigating this. And all they'll say, there again, um, a lot of cases, a lot of jurisdictions keep the investigative nuts and bolts very close to the vest. Now, all we know is that the mother and, and, and the son um, was shot with one of the guns was an AR-15 and one was a shotgun. And they were shot multiple times. And that was said <clears throat> by Alex, the father, who happened upon the scene. Alex is the one on the right in this photo, is the one on the scene who called at 10.07 and basically said, my wife and son have been shot multiple times. And basically he's saying they're in very bad condition. Could you get an ambulance here? Now, we don't know a lot more about that crime scene where the guns recovered on the scene. We don't know that. We know that there had to be some ballistic evidence, uh, i.e. spent shells. And we discussed this before. Sometimes a shotgun doesn't eject a shell unless it's fired multiple times. But a shotgun can actually leave the shell inside the barrel. But if, if he was shot multiple times, then there's a good chance that the shotgun shell was on the ground. And then I was hearing from an undisclosed uh, source that 
The second gun was an AR-15, which is a very, very powerful, almost military-like gun. So it's is it suspicious that Alex discovered the bodies? I don't know if it's suspicious, Bill. I mean, but, uh, you know, standard protocol in homicide investigation is we would be getting a, a real good statement out of Alex. I actually listened to the 911 call that he made. Uh, and the operator was asking for information. Are they breathing? He said that they weren't breathing. They weren't moving. So it was clear to me, you know, from the 911 call that they were probably already dead by the time that he made that call. Now, with a, a family like this in an area like South Carolina that they've uh, a prominent family, I would equate it to, let's say, um, you know, and I hate to even bring his, his name up in New York, but Governor Cuomo's family, this would be something on, on the lines of that. So the point I'm trying to make is that there was probably a law enforcement, what we call a full court press. When they heard, uh, you know, once word circulated that there was a double homicide and it relates to the Murdoch family or Murdoch family in this uh, this area of South Carolina, I'm sure it was a full court press. And like you stated earlier, Bill, sometimes shotguns do have uh, shells ejected from the shotgun. However, a double barrel shotgun is only carries two rounds. It, uh, it carries a side-by-side uh, -side, uh, shotgun shell. And unless the person cracks it open and pulls the shells out, which they could easily hold on to them, will it uh, discard the shells? It could be reloaded. Um, there's a lot of things that could have went on. Those shells are actually quite big. So to retrieve them wouldn't be much of a problem for a person after they uh, shot somebody that could retrieve them, even if they use the double barrel, or if it's a pump shotgun where the shell casings are, are uh, expelled from the gun, they, they're kind of big that they, they wouldn't get lost so easily unless it was high weeds or something to that effect. Um, I really don't know the uh, exact location of where the bodies were found. Like you said, it was near a dog kennel on a large, large area of property. But I'm sure that the crime scene investigation has all of that information. Again, the AR-15 was the second gun used. That's a very popular gun in the United States. It's very effective. It can travel a far distance with great accuracy. Um, it's a very common gun in the United States. It's, it's uh, uh, actually uh, used by hunters as well as uh, military. So it's a very popular gun. So I think these things would definitely be looked at. Maybe uh, there were guns on the property if it's a hunting lodge. I'm sure there might be guns on the property. Maybe there'll Bill, be some. There, yeah, there, there definitely were some guns that were taken that were uh, invoiced for evidence. But you, what you just said, there should be tons of guns. It's a hunting lodge. There should be. Yeah. You know, we don't know if they got the, if they have the guns, but right. they did in fact. And I just want I just want to read something. Uh, this was in the New York Times: the killing of Mr. Murdoch's wife and son brought national attention to what is normally a quiet rural community 65 miles west of Charleston. It was there that the Murdoch's legal legacy began when residents elected Randolph Murdoch, Mr. Murdoch's great-grandfather, as the region's top prosecutor 101 years ago. For more than eight decades and two, until 2006, three generations of the Murdoch family served in the position prosecuting cases across five counties. The killings also brought scrutiny to the family's history in the region, as well as several other deaths. Mr. Murdoch's son, Paul Murdoch, who had just been a junior at the University of South Carolina, was killed while he was awaiting trial on felony charges that accused him of driving a boat while drunk in 2019, crashing it and killing a 19-year-old woman, Mallory Beach. So you could see, I mean, it also just came out that the insurance company that insured this boat insured it on behalf of the law firm and is looking not to pay out. 
they're not going to pay. They stated they're not going to pay out in this lawsuit. Is it because the person operating the boat was not one of the insured, or was it was it because he was intoxicated? That's some of the questions we need to ask. Yeah, well, I'm sure uh, an insurance company is always looking for a loophole to wiggle out of uh, paying out on something like this. You're probably talking about big numbers, that young, beautiful girl that was killed. And we don't know the exact extent of the injuries of the other people on the boat. But I'm sure that a large uh, sum of money would be paid out if they were found uh, to be at fault. Um, you know, there's another interesting fact. You brought up that the family really reigned over the prosecutor's office for 85 to 100 years, whatever the exact number is. But on August 11th, 2021 of this year, the circuit, the 14th Circuit solicitor, Duffy Stone, who was the, actually the prosecutor, he recused himself from the double homicide investigation and he passed the investigation on to the South Carolina Attorney General's office. I think I believe that the uh, Obviously, they didn't want to have a, a, an appearance of impropriety that, you know, this person who may have worked with or under uh, Alex or his father or his grandfather has now recused himself from the prosecution of the cage, which I think is proper. It's probably uh, would have been called for, but it was it seems to have been done. I wouldn't say in secrecy, but it wasn't a big announcement until a few days after it actually, uh, what I read was uh, August 11th. I believe it actually took place. He actually recused himself on August 6th, whether or not it's an uh, inconsistency in, in the reporting that we, you know, that we relied on from uh, through the internet and stuff. But uh, it does seem very, very telling that uh, the current prosecutor would recuse himself uh, you know, so that way there's no indication of impropriety on the uh, on the actual investigation, which led to the open investigation that was previously cl closed of uh, of Stephen uh, Stephen uh, Smith, St Smith Stephen Smith. Yeah, the case from 2015. So the, if you read what they put out in in the media, they said that investigation of the double homicide information that was developed during that homicide has now led them to open they opened a homicide investigation for the young man you see on your screen right there from his 2015 death so now it sounds like this whole thing has opened up a can of worms as they say this, this uh, double homicide now turned into the investigation of this young man and it's obviously possibly related to the boating accident. And then we have the developments over the last week that we're going to talk about. Yeah, you know, I, I when the SLED people, that's that's a sort of a weird acronym. It stands for State Law Long Enforcement Division. Division yeah. And they're the equivalent of uh, our crime scene. It's South Carolina's uh, crime scene investigative unit. And when they said when they responded to the homicide, they somehow uncovered evidence in regards to the Stephen Smith case, which happened six years ago. His mother, however, has been pushing to get this case classified as a homicide because she has extreme doubts that this was, and many other people do, that this had anything to do with the hit and run based on his injuries. And look, even in these small communities, some of them have what's called a coroner. And coroners, they're not very well trained. And sometimes they respond to death scenes. I'm not saying all of them aren't well-trained, but many of them are not well-trained. It's an elected position, and some of them don't have the scientific background to evaluate a homicide case, especially on the scene. But a case like this should have went to a pathologist, and there should have been an autopsy. 
and there shouldn't be just guessing that he was hit by a car. Uh, I believe a highway patrol was consulted on this case, and they said there was no skid marks, there was no broken glass, there was no evidence of any hit and run. However, there was evidence of blunt trauma to his head. So when you think about the can of worms that this is opening up, the case, and it started, of course, with the homicide on June 7th of, of, of the mother and of Paul. That's Paul to the left there and the mother, Maggie. So, you know, some people are saying, and, you know, uh, that Paul was getting uh, threats to his life in connection with the boating accident. And it could, could it be that someone from that incident sought retribution and killed Paul and his mother, Maggie? I mean, we don't know the answers to that. Um, I think the SLED unit said, that's, again, State Law Enforcement Division, that no one in the community has anything to worry about. I don't know how they could say that, but that was one of the statements they put out. So it's, uh, it's a very convoluted case. And you look at a little chart, that's the family. Alex, again, is the father. Maggie, the mom, and Paul were both shot and killed on June 7th. And Buster is the brother who was classmates with uh, Stephen Smith. And we're not alleging anything. We're just reporting what we're, we're hearing from sources uh, in the media and from interviews with um, Stephen Smith's mother. You know, Bill, you brought up a point I just want to expand on a little bit. Uh, the state law enforcement division in South Carolina is the equivalent of the state police. Now, there are a lot of little towns. And like you said, maybe the, the coroner's office, the medical examiner who actually went to the scene and examined the bodies, they don't have the experience, I think is the right way to put it. They're not dealing with these murders on such a, a regular basis. Like in New York City, the, the medical examiner's office, the coroner's, the local ones, I mean, they're, they're dealing with homicide investigation on a daily basis. I doubt if that's the case there. And a lot of times in these states where there's little police departments throughout the state, the uh, the state law enforcement division, in this case, the SLED, state law enforcement division, the state police, they'll be the ones that pick up the crime scene part of it, because a little police department might, might not have a crime scene unit like we have in the NYPD. We have a whole unit, uh, numerous, numerous detectives, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, uh, right, right up to a deputy inspector that are uh, trained in crime scene investigation. So because they don't have the uh, manpower to, uh, you know, to uh, keep a, a, an active crime scene unit, they defer to the state. And that's what's going on in this investigation. And the prosecutor that would normally prosecute it has now deferred to the state attorney general. So it sounds like this case is in good hands. I don't think that there's anything to worry about as far as getting to the bottom of it. However, like we talked about the can of worms, now you have the, the, the Stephen Smith investigation. And there was a couple of other things, you know, you have the boating. Let's, let's, um, let's hold off on that until we're going to take a short break in a second. Sure. Holly W., thank you so much for the 99-cent super sticker. Folks, this is a very complicated, convoluted case, and it's the craziness is, is that it's already gotten national attention. Uh, People Magazine, that was the cover of People Magazine, Perfect Family, Shocking Murders. Uh, as, you could, as we've um, spoken about before, this is an extremely prominent family, I would imagine quite rich. And they're in, they've been in power in South Carolina for three generations, uh, going back almost 100 years. So you can imagine 
their influence. So could there be a possibility that there is favoritism in the investigation? Um, I don't, you know, I don't think I have to answer that. I think everyone here knows the answer to that, that, yeah, there's, there's a, a real possibility that they, they got preferential treatment in this case and, and in other cases. So people in this county, um, they speak softly about the Murdoch family. Some of them have a huge amount of praise that, that they're a great family, and others, they, they whisper because they're afraid of their power and of the things that they're capable of. We're going to go on a quick break right now, just a quick commercial, and then we're going to get into Alex's conduct, uh, A, at the homicide scene, and then uh, just very recently. And we're going to speak about some of the things that are being alleged, alleged about him uh, right now. Um, Phil, you want to take this one? Sure. Joe Murray, we heard he's out of the hospital. He's doing a little better. Still fighting like a real boxer, but uh, he's doing okay. But, uh, guys, uh, so you're watching a football game. You have a couple of beers or ladies. You're out with the girls and a few glasses of wine. And on the way home, you think you could drive, but the blue and red lights are behind you. Maybe you need an attorney. Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired member of the NYPD after 15 years in law enforcement. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com, jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Dashlaw.com. He's not only a trial attorney, he could also be a victim's advocate. Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. The coffee is made to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but also helps serve an important cause giving back to our community. 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. So order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com. Just go to that website I just spoke about. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. And again, 50% of the profits go to officers' families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. I ordered this coffee myself. It's fantastic. And I'm going to order it again as soon as I run out. So you're not only getting great coffee, but you're uh, supporting the police. And that's important in this day and age. So, Philly, let's get back now. Um, a lot of things have occurred, uh, especially in the last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to put up on the screen. This is this is Alex. Uh, I'm resigning from my law firm and entering rehab after a long battle has been exacerbated by these murders. but. Not only did he, he, the law firm who are his family members, some of them, have out and out accused him of stealing not one million, but millions of dollars from the law firm. So this is all intertwined with all of this other stuff going on. And at the same time, he's out Saturday on this desolate road, and he claims a car passed him, turns around, and then fires shots at him. He has what would, what's described by medical personnel as a superficial wound to his head, unknown the direction, the of path of the bullet took. That can tell us a lot, whether it was a self-inflicted. 
If there's stippling and gunshot residue on his head, that could also tell us something more about if it could have been a self-inflicted wound. The other thing is investigators from SLED, again, on this scene, they they see his, his well, one of the things that he claimed, let me back up for a second, and he was on, he was pulled over on this road to change a flat, but he has those special tires that they don't go flat. You can drive on them for 50 miles before you have to get it changed. And another thing, and I'm going to let Phil talk about this because he specifically knows a lot about those type of tires. There was a slash mark on the tires, and they found a knife on the scene that looked like it was used to slash that tire. He was, Alex was removed from that scene by helicopter. So how many people are removed from an accident scene with a superficial wound by a helicopter? Uh, I don't think that happens, but this is the county in which his family runs the one of the hugest law firms, and they used to run the district attorney's office. Phil, you want to uh, just talk a little bit about those type of tires? Yeah. Before I get into the tires, you made a point about something, and I want to talk about it. Uh, you talked about a possible self-inflicted gunshot wound, and you brought up stippling and gunshot residue, two very important. I'm so glad you brought those things up. They're very important in a case like this because I'm going to explain it briefly. I won't get too far into it. If a person fires a gun, gunshot residue will be left on their hand. Most cases, okay, unless they're wearing gloves or something to that effect. Then if the gun is placed close to a person, there would be gunshot residue on the person that gets shot. And there would also be stippling if stippling is something that occurs. Uh, if the gun is very close to a person's skin, there's almost like a pattern from the from the um, the ejection of, of uh, force, uh, the, the, the firing of the gun. And the bullet, it makes a thing, a pattern called stippling. So you have two things that they would be looking for on his wound. Actually, three. They may test his his hand for gunshot residue if they felt that he possibly self-inflicted the gunshot wound. And then they would check the wound for those two things that you brought up. Gunshot residue and stippling on the, uh, on the, on the uh, wound or the area where he was shot. As far as the helicopter coming in, that might have been dispatched because they heard who it was. They might have thrown it in there, uh, send, send a, a chopper there to, to airlift him. We don't know how far the hospital is. I don't really know about that. It does sound a little out of the ordinary, ordinary though, Bill. I do agree with you on that point. But regarding the tires, now, I happen to know I've had three incidents with run-flat tires already. And run-flat tires are designed that if you get a flat, as long as it's not a major puncture, like a, a big giant piece of metal, if you run it over and it splits the tire up into tire shreds, it's not going to help you. If you get a impact on the sidewall or if you get a screw or a nail in the, in the bottom of the tire, you can drive for up to 50 miles or even possibly more with those tire, with those type of tires. Now, I had three incidents. I'll go through the three incidents real quick. Just recently, I was on the turnpike. I was uh, about three exits from home. And I got an indicator on my dashboard that the tire was going flat. It went flat and I was able to drive about 25 miles, made it home. And then I changed the flat when I got home. A another incident, I had uh, an eight inch piece of rebar. I ran it over. It went inside the tire. This is about a year ago. And it was clinking around inside the tire. I was able to drive 10 miles to get to a tire repair place. Now, if he's got run flat tires and he gets a gash and he's got an indicator on his dashboard that he's got a flat, 
Is it logical for him to pull over and change the flat when he can go home and do it in the comfort of his garage or his driveway or whatever? Now it's or, or, or bring it or bring it to someone else to do it. You know, there's also 24 hour roadside assistance with the car that he's driving. All you have to do is hit the little button on top. So there's several things he could have done. He didn't have to stop on a deserted road and change the flat tire. Not going to get too far into that. Just wanted to talk about the, uh, the run flat tires. The point being he could have drove for a, a great distance to home, to a repair shop. He could have stopped if the car was undrivable. You hit the little button, they get on the phone and they tell you, where are you? They know your GPS location and they send a tow truck right to you. So there's many options that he could have taken. Now, you know, Phil, as- I just want to say one other thing. If sure. I was the, the boss on the scene of the investigative unit and he was going to leave the scene in a helicopter and he had a gunshot wound, I would make sure one of my detectives rode in that helicopter with him to the hospital. Because that seems to me like he's trying to get away from the scene so he doesn't get interrogated and questioned at length. So I think that I don't, you know, if he, and I I don't know, maybe an investigator did ride with him to the hospital. But what happens after he's treated, the wound was was sort of, was defined as a um, superficial. Like a graze wound, I think they said. Right, like a graze wound. Yeah. So. Right. If once he gets to the hospital, he's going to get released. So what does he do? He checks himself into rehab. And it, does he really, in fact, have a an opioid addiction or is he trying to avoid the the interview and the interrogation that's waiting for him once he gets out? Is he being protected by yeah. uh, by his family? That's a good point to bring up, Bill. I mean, you know, initially he's calling 911. I've been shot. I was changing the tire. I'd be getting information out of him. You know, I mean, if he was conscious and able to talk and as long as he wasn't bleeding out, I'd be hitting him with questions and you'd want to get as much information out of him as possible. And obviously it sounds like there were no witnesses in the area. It was supposedly a desolated road. So there isn't uh, like a canvas that could be done and find other witnesses to what what occurred. So you'd want to get a good story out of him right away. And I mean, you know, like you said, if he goes in the helicopter, they're going to airlift him. I'd send a guy with him or I'd go, if I was the detective on a case, I'd go with him myself and I'd keep getting information out of him. And then lo and behold, I think it was two days after the incident, he resigns from the law firm and then he checks himself into rehab where he can't be spoken to about anything, really. I mean, he's kind of protected uh, in the rehab. So that in and of itself is a little bit uh, suspicious to me. I mean, if you're a, if you're a victim of a crime, uh, you're going to want to cooperate with the police to try and find out who did it. He allegedly claims he was getting threats or there was threats to the family. So, I mean, his wife and his son were killed only a couple of months ago. So I would be very, very close to the police if I was completely innocent in that case. And I wouldn't uh, want to leave the uh, side of a policeman, uh, you know, throughout just so I could be safe. I mean, you know, nobody's going to walk up to and blow you away, uh, you know, if you're standing next to a cop. So, I mean, my point is that uh, there should be, if he's a true victim, there should be full cooperation with law enforcement, with the SLED, the state law enforcement division and the local police. There should be 100%. If he's a victim, he should be cooperating 100%. SSS in the chat, you're claiming that law enforcement never saw him. I mean, I don't know, you know, what it's been reported that his, uh, his gunshot wound was superficial. 
Now, he, I don't think if it wasn't superficial that the hospital would release someone with a head wound uh, to the street if it wasn't uh, a superficial gunshot wound. Because gunshot wounds, besides the fact that they can kill you, they also can cause infection. So they, they, they would treat it, but there's a very good chance maybe it didn't even break the skin. Maybe it just it was a graze wound, which I've seen uh, a number of times. Uh, one of the things that's very telling, too, is, though, he has been disbarred. Uh, all of this stuff is happening this week. He's been disbarred. He's no longer allowed to practice law. And the people from the law firm that reported his theft of millions of dollars were his two brothers. So on one hand, they're supporting him. But on the other hand, they're saying, look, he just he stole millions of dollars from this law firm. So all of these things are going on at once. It's like the perfect storm of all, diff all these different things. And Phil, there was another case I think you were talking about that years ago, uh, I think it was 2018, a housekeeper. Uh, you want to? You want to? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. We discussed it before we went on the air. There was a, a housekeeper by the name of Gloria Satterfield. I believe she uh, worked in the brother's house, but I don't know if she was uh, working in Alex's home or not. But the brother Richard's house was where she died from a fall, and uh, the family paid out her family. His family, Richard's family, paid out $500,000 to her family for uh, dying in the home. Uh, we don't know too many details about that, but it was uh, February of uh, 2018. Her name was Gloria Satterfield. And it's just another suspicious thing that's happening around this family. I mean, is it relevant? Who knows? I mean, it could be uh, you know, disgruntled family member. Uh, that may have wanted revenge and, and is going after these people. I mean, you got the family of the girl who was killed in the boating. I mean, I'm sure that they were uh, considered to be a suspect in this thing. I'm sure they would want to know uh, where the, what their whereabouts were. However, it seems like they were following up a civil action. So I don't know if that would be uh, the avenue that, that, that would lead to a possible perpetrator in the murder. But you brought up the things that happened in the last week. I mean, he was, uh, he was shot on the 4th of September. Uh, that he called 911 and reported himself shot. On the 6th, he, res he resigned from his firm and he goes to rehab. And on the 9th, by order of the South Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice Don Beatty, acting on the request of Office of D Disciplinary Counsel, the law license of Alex was suspended and the firm... The firm notified law enforcement and hired a forensic accountant because they believed that he had embezzled large amounts of money from the firm. And his brother, I believe it was Richard, made a statement and he said, quote, I do not condone, support or excuse my brother's conduct in stealing by manipulating his most trusted relationships. That's a heavy statement. It sounds like he's throwing his brother under the bus. I don't know if it's to protect the firm, but he's pointing his finger at the brother for stealing money. I do not condone, support, or excuse my brother's conduct in stealing by manipulating his most trusted relationships. And that really is a, an attorney-client privilege. We talk about that. I wish Joe were here to talk about that on the, uh, on the subject of attorney-client privilege because that's something that's protected under the Constitution, that anything you tell your attorney is held in the strictest of confidence. It can't be divulged to anyone for any reason to hurt you or prosecute you. So, I mean, his brother, who's also attorney in the firm, is now making that statement. And that's very telling that 
he's going to have some bracelets pretty soon regarding the theft of uh, funds from uh, clients in the firm is what it sounds like to me. You know, folks, we're uh, police off the cuff, real crime stories. And uh, if you like this show, please hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. You can also join us on YouTube. Join the police off the cuff family. Well, I found this case sort of um, fascinating. And it's 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 a national case, but there's so many moving parts to this case. And, of course, it's what described in the um, not just the podcasting business, but show business as like a sexy case, you know, a case that has, you know, rich people, power, uh, you know. Hello, Soldier Girl. Thank you, a new member to uh, the Police Off the Cuff family. Thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate that. There's so many different parts to this case that, you know, it, it would have been enough just the murder uh, of Paul Murdoch and his mother Maggie, but it, it didn't stop there. Now, some of the folks in the chat were saying, oh, they tried to kill um, kill, kill the dad, you know, and, and it, it's the same people that, um, you know, it's the same people that tried to kill the, the wife and the son. Uh, Maggie and Paul. I, I don't. I don't really buy that. You know. I think that there's a possibility that um, you know the, the dad is Alex is is the prime suspect in this. I mean, a lot of things are pointing at him, and I'm not going to just predict that he is is the shooter in the in the case of the the wife and the son. But he he shows up a half hour, thirty seven minutes after they were both shot to death and he's the 911 caller i mean i know that if i was running that scene he wouldn't have went home that night we would have been talking to him probably throughout the night uh i don't know what they did and this is one of the things where power and influence can intimidate law enforcement and you, we've seen it in several high profile cases across this land i always point back to the O.J. Simpson case. And I think that the police in that case were intimidated by O.J. Simpson's uh, celebrity and his status. And uh, as a result, I, I, in my opinion, in, I can be criticized for this. I think they gave him too much, too much room where they should have really uh, interrogated him for a much longer time. And uh, that's my opinion. Could, this, could that have been the case in this incident? This family has tremendous power, tremendous influence. The governor of the state made a comment about these, the double murder. So they're known throughout this state. Billy, you want to? Yeah, I, I mean, it, looking at it from the surface, this is just a, a surface look at, in my opinion, whether or not he's involved in the murders remains to be seen. However, things fell apart. His life fell apart. It was spiraling out of control pretty quickly in the last week. and. It appears, and I mean, there's suspect about this shooting where he allegedly pulled over on the side of the road uh, where he claims he was shot. Uh, that could be a, you know, a, a self-inflicted gunshot wound to kind of take the onus off himself. Don't look at me. Uh, my family was killed. Now somebody's coming after me. And that could be because the things were unfolding in the firm that, you know, uh, this theft of, of uh, you know, uh funds from the firm. And one of the people in the, in the chat, it's Evlor Verdane. He said, the fact 
They are doing forensic accounting investigation points to the intention, uh, intention rather to lay charges against Alex. I think that makes a lot of sense. They're bringing in a forensic accountant. They want to get the stink off of themselves and put it on him. They want to uh, get the onus off of the firm and put it on him that, you know, uh, his life fell apart. He's a drug addict. He's got all these things going on. He stole from the firm and that's going to kind of protect the firm maybe from future civil actions. I don't know, but, uh, you know, and if you look at all of the suspicious activity, Bill made the point, this is a dynasty family, tremendous influence in that area of South Carolina for over a hundred years. I mean, come on, we're not stupid. Uh, to ask these questions is not uh, out of the realm of possibility. It's not unusual. I think that these questions are quite fitting. And if we were to investigate this on this case, these are the things that we would be looking at. And I mean, you know, listen, you don't have to be a gumshoe detective to figure these things out. You know, you have obvious things. I'd be looking at that bullet wound and asking the doctor, does this look like, uh, you know, it was a, was it shot from a distance? He claimed a car was driving by and fired a shot at him or fired several shots. If he's got stippling and gunshot residue on his head, couldn't have been that, that would have to be close range right there. You got him in a lie. And then the, the life, changing the life is life. short. I'm sorry. Life is short. Yeah. Thank you so much for the $10 super chat. And she said, thanks for covering this story. Very fluid and interesting. It sure is. And it, it drew our attention uh, uh, too. In fact, uh, Philly is the one who told me we should uh, take a look at this story. And it and Hoppy Hoppy, thank you so much for the 499 Super Chat. You know, folks, uh, someone also asked in the chat, is it possible to shoot yourself and give yourself a uh, superficial gunshot wound? Yes, it is. Oh. It's very much possible. Uh, it's done all the time when someone tries to uh, set up a crime scene, you know, or, or, you know, make it look like something happened that didn't happen. I mean, when you see uh, right here is a picture of the crime scene. And apparently there was a lot of ballistic evidence. Yes. So who else? I mean, was that done to make it look like there was like a gunfight or that the person that fired a shot at him? was a horrendously bad shot, but yet grazed him. I mean, look, I know we always people point at Phil and I as we're super suspicious. We don't believe anything. You know why? Because science can tell us some of the answers to this stuff. And then common sense can tell us that something's not right here. And that's why we look at things this way. And, you know, we're always suspicious when things like that happen. And when I heard he was airlifted by helicopter for a superficial gunshot wound, you know, that to me, that was that he was trying to avoid being questioned. That's what I think that was for. Yeah. And if you could, you put that picture up again real quick, Bill, I just want to point something sure. out. The vehicle on the right, I believe is his car. That's a, a late model Mercedes Benz SUV. That's the car that has the, run flat tires. It's standard on all of their line of cars that you have the run flat tires. Uh, that's one of the points I wanted to make. And then some of the, uh, the evidence markers, there's numbers and letters that would indicate to me two different types of evidence, maybe shell casings, maybe spent shells. There is a great difference between a bullet and a spent shell casing, which uh, Bill and I have discussed before on the show. We'll get into that. I'm sure we're going to look at this case again. We'll get into that a little further. I just wanted to point that out. That crime scene looks like several shots had been fired. Maybe some of the evidence markers have to do with shell casings. Maybe some are bullets. Um, and I would want to see if he was, if he claimed to have gotten shot in the head, I would be asking, 
if it's right side of his head, where were you standing? Now, would the uh, would the bullet have hit him on the right side of his head if he was facing left? No, it would it would be the left side, obviously, you know. And what's behind him? Were there uh, bullets? Bullet holes from shots that fired that missed if multiple shots were fired. I don't know. It, it doesn't look like any of the windows are broke on that car. I really don't know. I can't comment on it. I wasn't there. I don't have access to the case folder. I don't know what the crime scene photos look like. However, those are the things that I'd be asking right from the jump. And again, the, the cut tire, and now they uh, they reported recently that there was a, a pocket knife found, which would indicate that possibly they would match up the knife to see if that was the same type of instrument that did the cutting in the tire. And whose knife is it? That would be a big question. Is it his knife? Yeah, is you know, some uh, Phil, RLM says they didn't find a gun, but they did find the knife used to cut the tire at the scene. And forensically, you can examine that knife. And you, if it was used to cut the tire rubber from that tire, even if microscopically would be on that knife. And they 100%, could 100%. Yeah. They, and they the could, puncture uh, can be compared. The puncture can, can be compared to the blade to see if there's sometimes if there's a serrated or if, uh, the, 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 uh, the actual size of the knife will make a certain amount size in the, uh, in the, uh, in the puncture of the tire. So all of that is forensically can be compared 100%. And, and, and Phil, uh, in addition, they possibly could find if, if in fact it was his, his knife. Uh, sure. Alex's sure. knife, they could possibly find his DNA on the knife. So, so I have a question based on what we just discovered, that the knife was found on the scene. That's pretty much a fact. So what happened? Uh, somebody stabbed his tire and he pulled over and changed it right at the same time that they stabbed. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. How could the knife be there? You know, was it sticking out of the tire while he was driving and then it fell off? I, I think that's quite impossible. So, you know, all of the, all of the things, all of the indicators here – are leading me to believe, and I'm not going to say 100%, but in my opinion, this sounds like it was done at the scene, and it sounds like a self-inflicted wound, possibly. I can't say 100%, but I mean, the knife being there, that's a big indicator of uh, of the, uh, the the tire being punctured at that scene where, where it was found. You know, that's what it sounds like to me. You know, Phil, one of the other things, uh, and I'm just going to mention this, is that a lot of this case will also be done like you were talking about a forensic accountant. Let's look into Alex's finances. Let's look into Alex's background. Did he have a, a, a mistress? Was he playing around? You know, was this lawsuit gonna uh, against his son for killing uh, that, that young lady Mallory in the boating accident? Was that going to destroy his life as well as his son's? So all of these questions need to be answered. And the only way they can be answered is through investigation. Uh, this case, it started, the, the, the murder was in June. But there's so many other factors with this family. And someone just put that, I think someone came in late uh, about the Stephen Smith case. Yeah, we were talking about that Nessie Aiden. We were talking about that earlier. And they found evidence from that case at the, at the murder scene. So this is like, you know, this was almost an occurrence that's written for the uh, written to be a movie. You know, it's just, um, I was just it's unbelievable. All the moving parts in this case. And it's, uh, it's a very, very interesting case. And, you know, folks, we're going to stay with this case. We're going to try to uh, come up with more, you know, obviously there's going to be, this is a big media case. So there's going to be a lot of uh, reporting on this. And of course, people love it when there's, there's power, there's money, there's sex, 
there's there's uh, alleged homosexuality involved here. None of those things can we confirm, but this is what's alleged in a lot of this. You got the family involved. You have, um, yeah, Sandra H., we spoke about touch DNA on the knife. That's very possible that DNA could be on the knife, and they will definitely check for that, or they should be checking for that. Uh, Boxing MMA, thanks, Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil. We love that moniker, Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil. This case is so interesting. It's tremendously interesting for you guys that tuned in late. I'm going to be sort of phasing out of the police off the cuff show with Mark DeMeo, and I'm going to be doing real crime stories with Phil. We're going to pick this up. I think this is more of my forte, more of my training, more of my background, and Phil has the same investigative background as myself. And we're going to try to, you know, take deep dives into these interesting cases uh, for you guys. And um, as I said before, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up. We got all kinds of merchandise now, too. We got, um, I can't even tell, we have mugs, uh, Police Off the Cuff, dipped in butter mugs. We have uh, workout equipment. Uh, So... You, you got to order some of this. We have, we have shirts that say, uh, polish my rack. You know, I, I think I, we have a sense we're, of humor. So uh, we're going to have to explain yeah. that for the new subscribers. We'll have to explain right, that. We're going to have to explain it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is, um, life is short. Thank you so much for being a channel member. And, uh, yeah, this is a very, very, very interesting case. And we're going to try to stay with it for you guys. If anyone has any information that they want to impart to us, please share it with us on our on our website or email us, policeoffthecuff1.com. And we'll, we're interested in anything you guys have to say. And, um, you know, we're gonna, as I said, we're going to be staying with this case and seeing what happens down the road because, uh, I mean, Alex's life is falling apart right now, you know, and uh, – I mean, I can't even imagine being in a situation like this. Uh, it said RLM says Randy Murdoch showed up to Stephen's scene and contacted his uh, his mother that day to offer his services. He is the family fixer. You know, that's the, one of the biggest, the most interesting things in this is that how many cases over the years have been fixed through the power and the influence. Because that is law, folks. Let's face it. That's what lawyers do. They fix things. They negotiate. You know, they they agree on a certain amount of money, or they agree not to get the money. You know, so that's what attorneys do. Imagine a law firm with five or six super powerful attorneys who used to be the district attorney in that town. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's uh, but this case has got all the elements of a. Uh, of a series actually, you know? Yeah. It's funny you bring that up, Bill, because I was just thinking this case caught my eye when the murders first happened. I mentioned it to you. We kind of monitored it. And then when we saw the developments that happened in the last week, we said, we got to profile this case and talk about it. This case has all the flavors of like a 48 hours episode or a 2020 or a motion picture. The only thing you brought up some of the things that seem to be missing. Maybe he's got a mistress and the finances. That's the only thing that seems to be missing in a case like this. And I'm sure we're going to look at, a, there's a lot of things to talk about here a lot. And we're going to look at it in the coming weeks and uh, days and weeks. And who knows what 
uh, other developments might occur in, in the next weeks, days, months, whatever uh, it takes. But again, even if that uh, the son Paul was responsible for that girl's death, he didn't deserve to be shot and killed. We have a criminal justice system in place that should be uh, handling something like that. The wife seems to be innocent that she was killed. Now you have the, uh, the, the girl that was killed, uh, young Stephen Smith that was killed. And then there's the, uh, the girl, we don't know if the housekeeper has any involvement in, in a suspicious death, but that's another thing surrounding this family. It's just a lot of, uh, suspicious things happening. And I think that, uh, we're keeping our integrity together that we didn't jump on this months ago. We look to see if it developed into anything further and it did. Rosemary Hill. I love that. She says to life is short. I would definitely wear a polish my rack shirt to bed, though. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Buy a polish my rack shirt. You know, it's uh, it's great. So folks, we're gonna. It, we, this is a. We're at the hour part. We uh, this case is super super interesting. We're gonna stay with it. We're gonna uh, come back with more episodes of this. But I think that um, we're gonna take a deep dive and speak to a lot of different people. I think uh, Lieutenant Darren Porcher, who's uh, an NYPD lieutenant, retired lieutenant, who's also a talking head on all the channels, he was talking about this case today, and he gave some good input. Maybe I'll ask him to come on the show the next time we do this case. So uh, Maui Swift, thank you so much. I love that name. Thank you so much for being a channel member. We really appreciate you guys. We're trying to grow this, as I said before. Phil and I are going to be doing these real crime episodes. Police off the cuff is the first part of the name, but real crime episodes. And Mark is going to do the police off the cuff either by himself or with an unnamed, an unnamed, unauditioned new guest oh. host. So we'll see what happens. Phil, final words. Final words. This is an intriguing case. I'm glad that we're on it. We're going to uh, dissect it little by little in the coming weeks uh, with future episodes. We got some great guests coming on uh, this Wednesday. We're going to be talking to Salvatore Sammy de Bolgravano, uh, just a conversation with him. Uh, there's going to be some other uh, organized crime related shows. Uh, and then obviously there's going to be upcoming shows with this one. We have Patricia Judge Domango coming on. Uh, Judge Patricia Domango, excuse me. She's coming on the end of the month. And then we have another uh, guest uh, related to organized crime, Jimmy Calandra. And uh, just glad to be part of it. I'm excited about that. We're going to accelerate the uh, police off the cuff, real crime story shows. And uh, looking forward to it, Bill. Uh, I think uh, we're a good you team. You know, Phil, don't, don't, don't think I just picked you uh, because you're Italian, because we're doing all this organized crime stuff. I don't want to be accused of that. All right, but uh, it does help to have someone that understands it, you know. Yeah, but, uh, truth be told, I did grow up around it, and uh, you know, Tommy Dates, who's going to be on the shows with us, he as well grew up around it. So, uh, having a little bit of knowledge before the job, and then knowledge from being on the uh, police force, being in law enforcement, uh, you know, it, it helped, and uh, so that's why we can put our two cents in about that. Uh, it's obviously very popular, but uh, I really want to stay plugged into this case as well as the Summer Weld case. We didn't forget about Little Summer. We hope and pray that she's found safe and sound. And any developments on that case, we're going to be right on it. Um, and uh, that's about it for me, Bill. Uh, Joe Murray, get well soon. We want you back. Yeah, we could have had you on tonight, given your expertise in the law on this case. Yeah, Joe, if you're listening, we're still praying for you, buddy. Uh, he, Absolutely. Folks, if you didn't hear, he's home, but he's still on oxygen. And we're hoping he's going to, you know, this is one hell of a horrendous disease, this COVID. 
And, you know, I, I know it's very political sometimes about getting vaccinated, but if you haven't been vaccinated, I think, you know, take it from police off the cuff, real crime stories. We think it's a good idea. So, Absolutely. Uh, folks, I'm Bill Cannon, your host on Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. On behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for your input. Thank you for joining the Police Off the Cuff family, and have a good night. Stay safe, everybody.